Hey everybody, welcome back to Hero Hero Go Show. I am Bo Ransdell, and uh, this is the first of uh, two planned bonus episodes uh, before we start Season 2 proper in October. This time around, we have an interview with Colette Balmain. Uh, you may not recognize that name, but she is the author of Introduction to Japanese Horror Film. It's a book that I use every episode uh, for reference, uh, for information, for an alternate way to look at some of these movies. I, I was very, very honored uh, when she agreed to do the show, and I'm very happy to present this interview to you. I, I thought it was fascinating, uh, and and I hope you do too. Colette is charming. She is incredibly informed on this subject, and, and as a professional speaker and lecturer, uh, I think she does an amazing job of of being uh, an incredibly engaging uh, speaker as well. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. I I really am very proud uh, to bring this to you. And uh, and let me know what you think. Uh, drop us a line over at Hero Hero at LegionPodcasts.com or jump over to our Facebook page, uh, which is uh, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hero Hero Go Show. Um, and, and let us know what you think. So, uh, if you would like to see more content like this, or if, uh, if you feel like we should just stick to the movies, but, uh, I, I hope, and I feel like you're going to, uh, have a great time with this episode. So, uh, without further ado, here is my interview with the author of introduction to Japanese horror film, Colette Balmain. And, uh, and we'll, I'll talk to you on the other side of it. Uh, my guest today is a lecturer at Kingston University in London and the author of Introduction to Japanese Horror Film, one of the central texts I use on the show. She is currently working on that book's second edition, which I believe is available, available in April, uh, as well as another text on East Asian Gothic horror. Uh, she is a film critic as well, and I'm pleased to be able to spend a little time with her today. Uh, please welcome Colette Belmain. Miss Belmain, how are you and what did I leave out? I'm fine. I'm fine. You didn't really leave anything out. I'm also doing some work on Korean horror as well. Um, so it sort of gives me a much better idea of what Japanese horror is. Yeah. And, you know, and that leads to, I, I suppose, the first most obvious question. But what what led you uh, into Asian cinema in general and, and specifically Asian horror? I did my, I I went back to university sort of later in life to do my MA and my PhD. I did my PhD on the films of Dario Argento. And as sort of the final part of it, I had to look at Argento's influence elsewhere. And so that sort of led me to Japan. And I looked at the relationship between Argento's films and audition. That was sort of the final chapter. And I think that sort of led me to Japan at a time when things were happening. Because in Italy, things had kind of stopped happening. Um, and Japan was the place where the sort of really big horror films um, were, were coming from and was sort of new and exciting. Um, so I think that sort of that sort of led me to Japan um, and then sort of more broadly to Asian horror. I just think it's 
For, for me, it's more interesting. There's a much wider range of films and you're not getting the same sort of franchises. I mean, it's not that you don't have franchises in Japan, because you do. Um, but I think there's a, a much broader range of horror films. And in terms of, um, I think, what's scary and what's creepy, a lot of the Japanese directors sort of um, get that right most of the time. Not all of the time, but most of the time. Yeah. The One thing that's interesting uh, about the, you know, specifically Japanese approach to horror, although it, you might be able to generalize more mm. broadly, is that very thing that there seems to be uh, almost a direct line between some of these directors and the human id. Um, where a, a lot of times the films don't necessarily bother with uh, with structure and plot as much as imagery and sound and 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 just being scary. And I think I think that's very much the case. And I think one of one of the kind of issues I have with sort of a lot of Western but U.S. horror is that it's very sort of driven by narrative. And it all has to sort of neatly be explained at the end of the film. And I think horror is more an experience. Um, and, and kind of the first sort of films that I saw after audition were Ring and Duon. Um, and they really scared me. And with Duon, it scared me so much. I had to watch it five or six times to actually get a handle on it. Um, <laughs> I think I can't remember being so sort of creeped out. And I think it was the structure, the way the structure was done. Um, and so I could get to grips, you know, with the narrative of it. And I think once you leave sort of that sort of sense of narrative closure and the sort of way in which narrative has to work behind then you have a much more intimate connection with the films that you're watching and the feelings that those films actually move you to. Were you interested in, in horror films prior to, I think you must've been on some level if you're doing Argento, but uh, you know, Asian horror tends to be something that either is going to, to put you off and seem a little too dense or obtuse, or you're just going to go bananas for it, which you clearly did. Yeah, I mean, from a child, I've I've been interested in horror, um, and um, we lived we lived abroad, and I lived in Singapore for a while, um, and I don't know whether that has anything to do with what I like or what I don't like, um, but I think that I mean it is. There's a real problem being a critic of any sort of Asian cinema in particular. And it doesn't come up with European cinema, even though it's not in the same language. There's a whole issue about, you know, Japanese film is other. So how do I approach it as someone not from that culture without perpetuating sort of Japanese stereotypes of sort of inscrutability, of otherness, of sort of total difference. Um, so, so I find it really difficult, but I think, I mean, I was always into horror films. I had a really, when I was sort of in my twenties, 
we had a very good video shop, um, which had lots of international horror. Um, and I would always go for the international horror films um, because I, I think I think you get tired of the sameness if you like horror. There, there's an amount of pleasure in something. But when you get to sort of Friday the 13th, part nine, you kind of had it. You know, it's the same film over and over again. And then you've got space, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so yes, I, I think it was having a sort of being interested in horror, having a really good video store um, and, you know, being aware of sort of European and world horror. And some of the, I think I'd seen junk. Um, I'd got that out from the video um, store and I'd seen that before even started to write about Japanese horror. I do think um, there are sort of, you know, Argento's very, very big in Japan. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that the appreciation was sort of Argento's work which is very stylish, which doesn't have a sense of narrative coherence necessarily. Um, sort of points to a connection between the two cinemas. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really interesting. And, and it gets a little bit to something that is a pet theory of mine, which is that if you want to understand any culture, uh, take a look at their horror films. Mm. And I think you can see, um, particularly with, with Asian cinema, um, that there has apparently been this, this sense of turmoil and social upheaval that mm. has, has bled into the films for almost 30 years at this point, it feels like. Yes. And, and, and so do you think when you're, when you're approaching these films, both as critic and as fan, uh, do you find that you you have to divorce yourself from the idea of, of, of getting into the psychological roots of a film to appreciate? I guess what I'm asking is, do you feel like you have to appreciate the film superficially as, as uh, a piece of art uh, to understand what it's trying to achieve and then start to unpack the psychology of the creators, like uh, the the chapter that includes your your discussion of audition in in the uh, text you wrote, is a fantastic sort of uh, alternate viewpoints of uh, Miyuki's audition, and it certainly helped me think about the film differently. But is that something that you feel like is on the back end of the viewing experience, or do you engage on that level as you watch these movies? I think now, and I think partly because I, I, I work in academia and that I teach horror, is that I can't really divorce myself from it, from sort of engaging at a deeper level. I was watching, I've been doing some watching for, I'm watching films for both the Japanese book, which is going to have a new cop new chapter on sort of gore cinema, but also for the Gothic book. Um, and I was watching a film called Igami, which is based upon a manga. Um, and it's a really interesting film about um, uh, a sort of dystopian society where they send out death, uh, death letters um, to people between 18 and 24. 
And it takes you on the sort of journey of those three people who are told that they're going to die. Um, and then before they die, they can do anything they want to do. And you, you can you can sort of watch that as sort of a dystopian young adult film generally. Um, but it seemed to me when I when I was watching it, one thing about the film that seems to me about Japanese horror is that in a way it was very small. So it was dealing with three characters. It was dealing with a musician. Um, it was dealing with a son of one of the politicians um, and it was dealing with a debt collector and how they sort of approached the, their deaths. Um, and it seemed to me it was a very little film, but about a very wide subject. So it was sort of a critique of Japanese society and Japanese politics and this sort of, um, you know, subservience to the state which there's a reactionary sort of route to Japanese politics at the moment so it seemed to be so when I was watching it I could appreciate it as a sort of dystopian young adult text but at the same time it seemed to me it was about much more than those three stories which were very sort of affecting which were very well do done and I can't really separate the two. I find it very difficult to sit down and watch a film as a film without engaging at a deeper level. But then I think you appreciate it more. I think that's what I think. I think I get much more out of films these days because I, I don't just watch the surfaces. I mean, surfaces are important and they're what, you know, what scares us. But the sort of deeper issues that I found with the Gami about the sort of those moments in life and approaching death linger with you. And that's what you think about afterwards. You don't think about those moments of horror. You think about those moments of sort of, of a, I don't know, of then sort of communicating a much deeper message about life and about society and about one's state and society. And I think that, you know, you can't get away, I can't get away from it anymore. Yeah, I, I think that's, that is one theme that, that pops up uh, frequently. And uh, the one that leaps to mind is obviously Battle Royale, yeah. um, you know, where the director of that film was a child himself. Or a young man, I suppose, 15, mm -hmm. when he was, you know, his entire class is conscripted to go to work at, at a munitions yeah. factory, which is then bombed. Yeah. And that film's healthy disrespect of, of authoritarianism seems like a deeply personal message, which is something that I, I don't think you get in that film without knowing something about it other than. It's, you know, this audacious film about children murdering each other. No, and I agree that with that. I mean, I, I've done some sort of conference presentations on Japanese film, and I did one on um, Suicide Club. And I showed, like, the beginning sequences with the young girls um, throwing themselves onto the tracks. Sure. And I think for everybody in the room, it was about the image. But for me, it was about the story behind that image. 
And I think sometimes when you do papers or stuff like um, in academia, you don't, people, you're addressing the film on a surface level. Whereas, you know, if you think about sort of suicide in Japan, which has a very high rate, I think South Korea's actually overtaken Japan now. Um, but there's this sort of, this, this acknowledgement of a social issue. And so I'm not so sure that US film does it so much in a, in a social way. I think some European cinemas do it. Um, but it tends to be more about the, the sort of shocks or the frights. And, and sometimes there's very little substance to it. Um, and of course in Japan, directors have a lot more freedom. So expressing your cinema as expressing your own personal vision is very much um, what cinema is about. So I think it's it, it's very different. You're not producing something which is by numbers. You're producing something which is very internal. And I was reading with, with Mickey that he works on a very visual le level. So the script it's 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 not that relevant it's a sort of visual storyboarding and the ideas behind those visuals um that are important yeah it i mean he's such a remarkable example anyway because of his output yes um and and the fact that so many of the movies in his filmography or are as as good as they are yeah. It's really amazing. Like somebody doing that much work, that's Roger Corman levels of about it But it's it, so good. Yes, and he doesn't seem to go wrong. And and I was watching um oh god, the latest release of Tokyo what is Tokyo Try by Sona. And I've always been like a really big fan of Sona and I was until I saw Cold Fish and I really didn't like it and I felt really offended by it and I kind of thought oh well take your tribe I'll give it another go but again I, I don't think Mickey dealing with sort of relationship ever is sort of misogynistic or homophobic you know I don't think he does those things I think the problem with Sono these days is he actually does those things, which for me, you know, being such a big fan of the sort of social critique in um, Suicide Club becomes very problematic. Yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you very specifically about that, because as a, a male who comes from a more progressive Western cultural outlook, there are times watching these films, particularly the Japanese films, mm. where the treatment of women, even major characters, as so uh, second-class second citizens of their own films. Mm. And the one that I always use as an example is Pulse. Uh, in, in Pulse, at the end of that film, after uh, the, the male lead, the younger guy, has, has sort of been whammied by the ghosts mm. in, in a daze, even in that condition, when she gets in a car, uh, she gets in mm. the passenger seat. And even in his weakened condition, it's assumed he's going to be driving her car. And it really took me out of the film for a second. And I can mm. only imagine 
as, as a human female, such as yourself, watching some of these movies and, and the representations of women in, in some of these films is, is really sometimes genuinely disturbing. I, I mean, I, I do agree. And, and when I saw you using Sono, that was kind of an example. But I think that kind of goes back to sort of Japanese pink cinema and sort of pornography. Um, and and it's, it is problematic. It is funny. In some films, I find it much less problematic than other, other films. So... And Coldfish, I found it so problematic because it was like uh, there was a lot of black humour about rape. And I don't think rape is something that's particularly funny. And, and, and I felt very offended by that. I think there is this sort of, um, and, and you can talk about Asian cinema more generally, sort of a, a sort of women as secondary characters, even when they're the centre of the film. I thought what was interesting, I was watching um uh I was watching Duon, The End of the Beginning. Um and and in the original the reason I really liked sort of as a woman the original film was that it was a critique of sort of domestic violence and it sort of communicated that sort of abuse in a very sort of powerful way. But what seems to have happened over the films in this sort of this is a reworking of John. It's not, it, it's about the same family, but they're not played by the same actors and it rewrites the story. Was actually the, the husband becomes a very minor part of it. And sort of Keoki is, is totally monstrous. Not only is she monstrous, um, but Toshi is monstrous as well. So, something seems to have happened where the sort of discourse of sort of abuse and wronged women has sort of become sort of monstrous women and sort of, and I just felt, I felt really uneasy with the way it had been reworked. And I wonder whether that reworking is to fit into what's so popular about those films elsewhere. So that sense of Coco as this sort of monstrous female character and her sort of backstories got lost. And I think what I found was interesting in Ring as well was the backstory, was that these were sympathetic characters. So so in some of these films, it's a critique of the secondary position of women in the films. Um, and a lot of these films, a lot of sort of ghost films are made for female audiences, are made for young female audiences, and not male audiences. Um, where you would think that things like, um, uh, I don't know, um, Cold Fish are made for male audiences. And I think there is this sort of, this, this sort of objectification of women, um, that runs through, um, Japanese cinema. Um, which, which is problematic. Um, and I did, I, I felt that when I, I watched the sort of last film in the Duon. And then you've got sort of the latest release, which is showing at Fright Fest here, which is Sudeiko versus Keiko. And they sort of just become monstrous women, you know, not sort of vengeful ghosts, 
not sort of ghosts who were wronged, but just these sort of, I don't know, these sort of repositories of sort of, I think, Western cultural fears. Um, and then it's sort of like a reverse Orientalism. So it's giving the West what's popular, which is turning these figures into monstrosities. Um, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult in horror generally in that a lot of films still, even with sort of, you know, I don't know, third wave feminism or post-feminism, are still quite problematic in the portrayal of women, you know, even when women are the lead characters. Um, so, and I think as I've got older, I, I begin to feel things are more problematic. I think that's I've got a niece who's 15, so my sort of view of things changes. Sure, sure. And I, wor- I worry, you know. I did this whole thing on Japanese film, and I was looking at sort of statistics around sort of violence, and the sort of the statistics they give are that sort of stranger violence in Japan is a lot lower than in America. However, from conversations I've had since, um, I wrote the book and I'm making some changes to it, is that actually domestic violence is very high. So it's what you don't see. So in a lot of these films, it's a general view of women as having a sort of secondary status in in society. Um, and so, so, so it's problematic. I do feel it's problematic and it is something that I'm going to have to handle when I sort of finish the second edition of the book Um, because I think you know you have to be responsible especially in today's culture to look at such things you know and also to ask yourself if these films are for a younger audience what are they telling the younger audience about sort of gender positions and gender relations yeah, well, you know, as you said, the original uh, Juan, like going back to the curse, uh, is is filled with this idea of domestic violence, and this is yeah. this is the genesis of all the problems yeah. in this house, and and that the rewriting of that. Yeah, I, I, you wonder if it's something as simple as a director who just isn't as concerned with that sort of message, and and like you said, is is. Um, entertaining this uh, idea of a Western audience will find these characters as monstrous ghosts. And there's no, there's no overt comment about gender politics being made, but by not addressing that in the, because of the source material of the story, you're, it's it's sort of a sin of omission, you know? It it is, it is. And there was sort of, on, on one of the sort of Facebook sites I'm on, there was a discussion about which was the better sort of franchise, if you like, in Japan. And everybody said Juon. And and that would take us really up to this last film because Shimuso's not involved in it. Um, and because he's been involved in all the films and even had control over the video game that came out, it was very much his vision. Um, and, and I think you can see his sort of vision in, in his other films. I was watching, um, 
uh, tormented, um, which I thought was actually a really sort of great horror film. Um, but I, I think that's right. I think, you know, it's interesting that he had nothing to do with this sort of rebooting of the series. Um, and these characters become sort of un, they're, they're taken away from their context. Um, and when you look at sort of the way in which Western horror films taken up this sort of Japanese ghost or Japanese, um, vengeful ghost, it's very much sort of diluted, you know, this sort of context of it in order to produce something which is more, I suppose, palatable to sort of Western audiences. Um, so I, I, you know, I find it interesting because with, with the films, I really connected with those female characters. Um, I think today, I mean, you know, the sort of ring is different. Um, because Nakata did two films in the series. Um, although I watched Sudeiko 3D, which is a, a continuation of Raisin or Spiral, which was meant to be the second film in the series. And I thought that was much more interesting that sort of continued a storyline. Um, but, but no, I think it, I mean, in Cabin in the Woods, it has that whole sort of Japanese sequence in it, um, which I, I really didn't like because then it's become like sort of part of mass culture and it has no meaning except for sort of ironically to say to audiences, oh, do you recognise this? I, I suppose I felt like that scene also was a bit of a comment on the the inherent cultural strangeness of some of those films. And, and I don't know that it was mocking. I, I enjoyed it because I thought it was very silly, but. Yes. Uh, I, 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 and the problem was I was one of the few people I think who didn't really like it. <laughs> right. um, I thought it was too, it wasn't a horror film. And I think that was my problem with it. Um, I suppose I'm quite a purist. I quite like my horror to be horror. Um, I don't know. I kind of thought, oh, um, and I, I think there has been a way in which Japanese horror has been mainstreamed. Um, and, and I mean, a lot of the sort of early films, um, were sort of the remakes of the early films were much more popular in Japan than they were in the West. Um, and even when you consider the remake of Pulse, which was truly dreadful, that actually did really well. That did, I don't know how it did in Japan, but it did really well in the sort of DVD market um, in the US. Um, so, so I find it sort of, you know, having to revise the book and the publishers, and it's taken a while because the publishers want me to revise each chapter. So rather than you know, just put a new introduction in it. I'm having to put new new sort of films in it to bring it up to date. And then a sort of new chapter on sort of gore cinema. Um, so, and I, it's interesting how things have changed, how, how I perceive kind of things have changed in Japanese horror cinema from the time I sort of wrote the book to now. And, 
that leads me to asking you to spoil uh, your own work for us because and this is no longer for the audience. This is specifically for me. Uh, I tend to be, if not a fan, continually fascinated by the the Japanese splatter cinema, the yes. uh, the uh, Nishimura and Noguchi and, and so forth. And I can't quite wrap my head around what it is that I find so intriguing about them, other than the sense that there's no there's no set of ground rules for these films. It is no. it is just mania by two guys who apparently love to outdo each other. <laughs> and and I and I wonder, you know, as you approach these films, uh, particularly the, this subset of of splatter films, yeah. do you, you know, to your point, do you find these to be really horror films? Or are they just kind of comedies with horror trappings? Well, I I mean, I think you're right. I think they're sort of more comedies with horror trappings. Um, I I think and and sort of. In, in the sort of book, I go back to sort of the origins of the Uroguro genre, so the erotic grotesque. And of course, the erotic grotesque in early, um, in the early 19th, 20th century, um, was, um, also about nonsense. So, so that sense of nonsense, that sense of sort of comedy, it's also linked to a sort of um, critique of society. So, I mean, it's sort of in academia, we say it's carnivalous, it's sort of carnival. It sort of, you know, um, subverts that idea of the sort of um, uh, bounded body and the things that should or should not be shown on television or, or shown at the cinema. Um so I, I think there's that they, they have a historical location and then really within the work of Rampo that sort of made it sort of very popular um, in his in his fictions. And I, I've done quite a lot of work around that. And I find the sort of origins of these films really fascinating. So I think they have a particular location in Japanese culture in the sense of the erotic grotesque. But also in this sense of nonsense, this sense of comedy, this sense of subversion. So it's kind of like the Tokyo Gore Police. You kind of go all all out for it, um, which you see I like, and I find I find that it's really different when I do Korean cinema because it's so bounded. It's so what you can and you can't do. Whereas in Japan. You can do anything, which is problematic in terms of sex at times and in terms of sort of rape narratives, but also allows directors just to be totally out there and very sort of creative and thinking about the images. Um, and, and when, when I sort of done that contextual sort of study to them, it gives you it gave me a better understanding because I think I first saw these films as sort of mainly marketed at Western audiences because they are very popular with Western audiences. They're very cheap to make. And so you get very good remains on, you know, sort of uh, money on the film. So, so they're very cost effective films. Um, 
But I think there is there there kind of is a tradition there. You could sort of go back to the guinea pig films and the later films in the guinea pig cycle, which were very sort of much more slapstick, were much more about comedy and less about the horror, the kind of first two films. Um and I I think there's something in that sort of that sort of delight in excess in totally um going for it that is very enjoyable, um, but also has a sort of critique of sort of society inbuilt in these films. And of course people say, I, I think people say I'm justifying them. You know, this is, this is an academic justification for these films. But I think there is a long history. Um, I think there were, I watched Robo Geisha, um, and I really enjoyed that. So, um, and I saw Big Tit Zombie, which I really enjoyed as well, you know, and, and perhaps I shouldn't. But I think there's a lot of fun. And I think sometimes other horror film, they don't have that sense of fun, that sense of let's just do stuff because we can do stuff. Um, so I'm kind of attracted to those films. Yeah, I, I I always feel like I'm watch when I'm watching one of those movies, particularly the you know uh, Nishimura and uh, Aguchi yeah conspirators in making these movies. Um, it it feels like you stumbled into a club where a punk rock band is playing, yeah, and you don't know what they're gonna play, and you don't know if they're gonna be any good, but they're gonna be loud and they're gonna be fast, and, and they're gonna be fun. Yes, absolutely, and. Yeah, I uh, you know we've talked about Tokyo Gore Police on this show. Mm. We're gonna get to um, uh, like Tetsuo and 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 some yeah. of the body horror stuff. Yeah. But so when I, I we've been focusing almost entirely on on Japanese uh, films, mm. but I think it's because there was that wave in you know uh, following mm. Ringo and Juan and yeah. and that influx of films that came out of Japan at a time when um, Western horror seemed to be stagnating mm. and it really reinvigorated the, the horror scene uh, globally for a time. Yes. And then that wave seemed to recede. And the one thing I hear over and over again uh, from, from people who listen to this show, by the way, thank you, um, <laughs> is that they, they got obsessed with Japanese films when during that period, during the the, the heyday of yeah. those imported movies, and then uh, it sort of subsided. And you know, there are really exciting movies coming out. Like uh, what is it? Uh, Train to Bhutan uh, is yes, the, yes. really good. The Wailing, yeah. I hear great things about. Yes. Um, you know, of course, Miyuki continues to make a movie about every twenty five minutes. <laughs> It's like, and, and one thing that I love about Miike is he seems to constantly be commenting on his own filmmaking yes. process within his. <laughs> I think Ichi the Killer is one of the best examples of yeah. a, saying, "What is my responsibility for the movies mm. I make?" But mm. but when I was getting at it is that the my listeners will tell me. Um, I, I've kind of moved away from, from Japanese horror and listening to this show has sort of reminded them like, oh yeah, it's not just these three or four movies, yeah. it's just not the long movie yes. influenced girl. And why, why do you think that there was that retraction and, and 
do you think that there's a chance to see another resurgence or have we reached that equilibrium where the cream is going to come to the top and that's going to get out and get recognized, but maybe a more obscure film isn't? Well, I, I mean, I it, it's an interesting um, question that comes up quite a lot. I mean, I think that sort of initial sort of wave of Japanese film and then there was sort of, and then there was a saturation with the remakes of um, those films. But also, I think, I think it sort of, it, it came to a lull because um, distribution companies like for Asia, um, Asia Extreme, um, went, you know, out of the market. Um, so, so distributing the films became much more difficult. And, and I think that has something to do with it. I think I mean I'm always I kind of when I'm doing the second edition for the book and I I'm sort of looking at these sort of films, including Togo Gore Police, um, and I I and Igami. I mean I'm sort of pushing it, but I'm going to be writing about it. I think there are some really good films um, that are still being produced in Japan. I don't think they're getting distributed. I think that's a problem. I think that um, there was this really good film called Goth, um, and I can't remember who the distributors of the film were, were, but it did get a UK release, but it did very badly. So I think what happened with some of the more interesting films is because there seemed no longer to be a market for or there were no longer, um, you know, uh, production companies, distribution companies to actually dispute the films. Um, I think that led to a bit of a lull in Japanese horror. I, I mean, I do think I've seen some really good films. I watched um, Black Kiss last yesterday, which is sort of serial killer film, which has lots of sort of Hitchcock and Argento influences which is a really interesting film. So I don't necessarily think it's particularly gone away. I think there have been distribution problems. And then I think there has been the whole problem of Korean horror cinema, which sort of with Old Boy and a sort of Tarantino's validation of Old Boy um, sort of took its place. Um, and of course, Korean horror films are generally very well made. There's quite a lot of money that goes into them. They're kind of the opposite to films like Tokyo Gore Police or um, Big Tit Zombie. Um, and I think, but again, when you sort of look at look at Korean horror cinema, there's only a few directors who work whose work gets distributed outside of Korea or outside of the sort of local markets. Um, so I think I think that's been a problem. And I think people, you know, I mean, we could talk about this sort of what happened with Italian cinema when Italian horror sort of seemed to disappear for a while. Um, so I think it was partly due with there were no distribution networks. I also think that Korean horror cinema became the next thing that the West was fascinated with. And so instead of Japanese horror films being remade, it was Korean horror films being remade. And I think the whole thing about remakes is that, you know, we're, we're 
a lot of people really hate them. I actually think even if they're not very good, they serve a purpose in that you hope the audience will then go and look for the original. And I think because we live in an internet generation, I think they probably will. Um, so I think I think it's a difficult one. You know, people talk about there's not so much quality in Japanese films or they're sick of the long-haired ghosts. Um, but I think a lot of that comes from Western audiences. And it comes from what we can get. It comes from what we can see. Um, and it's not perhaps representative of what's being produced in Japan. I think, I mean, you know, I think I'm interested to see how um, Sudeiko versus Keiko does, um, because I think that may, you know, I, I haven't seen it that may trigger a resurgence in um, the horror industry because it's quite a big thing that it's on at Fright Fest. I think one of the films dropped out, but I think I'm hoping that perhaps we will see a resurgence. Yeah, I I, I hope so. Uh, I know it's been um, a, a real pleasant journey of discovery for me. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to movies I'd seen before that I found that I don't know that I appreciated at the time or, or certainly didn't appreciate the cultural context Mm. of of knowing, you know, Hey, if I see this long haired girl dressed in white, Mm. that's not just one creator ripping another off. There's this Mm. grand cultural context Mm. that says, this is shorthand for a ghost. That's what you need. You know? Um, and, to me, I think that's one of the most rewarding things about about watching uh, particularly Asian horror cinema is that it presents their culture within context, but also slightly subverted. And yeah. it, it, it's a weird juggling act to make as a viewer, but I think it's it's incredibly rewarding. It is. It is. And I mean, I, I remember reading something, you know, years ago and and. I think it was Sarah Street, who's an academic, writes about European cinema, but she she was saying that popular genres are the best sort of genres to learn about a country or to know what sort of the context of the cultural anxieties, as opposed to things like art cinema, which, which are more international in their approach because they're made to sort of uh, go on the festival circuit and I think that's why I do I think that's that's why yes I love the films and I still love the films but I find that I get a lot out of it from reading about um, Japanese history about Japanese politics um, and and that I become a more rounded person because I'm not so western centric and I think you know, it, I've been looking at the figure of the ghost, the long-haired ghost, sort of across sort of Asian cultures, and she appears in, in all of them, but she takes different formats depending on... So so the Korean ghost is not the same as the Japanese ghost. Um, so it's those differences which are which are very interesting. And the thing is that that sort of critique, oh, you know, we've had enough of long-haired ghosts. But if you look at somewhere like Japan and 
you look at um, sort of ghost stories, it, it, it's part of the culture. You know, they keep on producing those films because it's part of their culture. You know, you can't suddenly stop them, you know, say, oh, stop making these films because we in the West don't want to see them any longer. It, it's 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 part of the culture and it's part of the lexicon of horror in that particular culture. So, you know, we make too much, I think, of sort of, you know, if films do well in the West. And I get this, you know, what I, I've done a few interviews with Korean directors and they all want to do well in the West. But actually the biggest market for sort of Japanese, Korean, Indian um, horror films, it's the local, the domestic markets. So Korean horror film is huge in Japan. Um, and there's been this really problematic things where some critics have been call, calling all films with long head ghosts J-horror. Um, and I find it so problematic, you know, because you're taking away the cultural context from them. You're saying this ghost is just, it's a genre. Um, and that, that's, that's very, very problematic because it's like that, that sense of, you know, what is Asia? You know, we, let's just talk about Asian ghosts without saying, well, what are the differences between these ghosts and what, where do they come from? And, and that is what's fascinating. Where do these ghosts come from? What do they mean? Um, and how can we, learn things about day-to-day -day life and also things about you know other people's cultures which is so interesting yeah and what what's really kind of darkly funny to me is that western audiences tend to group all of those films together as asian mm -hmm. you look even within the films there is such antipathy represented for other Asian countries, depending on, on the, the yeah. of the film. The one that uh, struck, struck me most uh, uh, broadly was uh, the movie Dream Home, the, the mm. film, which I actually yeah. think tremendous slash. Yeah. But within that film, they make fun of Koreans and Japanese people. And and like I said, it just depends on the 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 country of origin for the film you're yeah. watching. That there will be disparaging remarks made about the other cultures that we tend to group together as a single, you know, the idea of Orientalism, this, yeah. this culture that we just group as yes, they these people are all roughly the same. Yeah. Their cultural backgrounds are wildly different. They are, and, and I mean it's interesting because when I first put in a proposal for the Japanese book, and this sort of at the beginning of my writing career, um, I, I had put in the proposal that I was going to say something about Korean cinema as well. And of course, the reader, that we, we have to have proposals reviewed, got really cross with me and said, oh, no, you can't do this because it's totally different. And kind of that's why I, I've sort of gone into sort of East Asian horror because it is very different and we do, you know, and people in this whole sort of um, conflict between Japan and South Korea, which is still ongoing. Um, somebody was saying that there were sort of demonstrations in Japan 
because of the popularity of not Korean horror film, but Korean drama, Korean popular music. So there's still that sense of sort of those, and, and that's what I'm exploring in the book on East Asian Gothic, is those relationships and the problematics of those relationships between the two. I think in Japanese anime and manga, you see a lot that, you know, the sort of evil person is coded as Korean. Um, but, but we do, you know, it, it's kind of like the casting of any Asian actor as Japanese or Korean or Chinese. You know, it doesn't matter <laughs> the Asian. Um, and, and that's, you know, and that's such a problem. Um, and I think it's noting those sort of cultural differences. It's very important. Um, and, you know, and, and that's when, when I was saying to you about J-horror, that's the whole problem about that sort of phrase. It's sort of like A-horror. I mean, what do you mean? You know, because it's kind of like, you know, India's not seen, India's seen as Bollywood, but actually there are Indian horror films. There's an Indian remake of The Ring, I, I'm sure. I've not seen it. Um, but you know that there are differences and there are tensions, and that you can't, you know. And I think what happens is when they get remade, they become the same. Do you see what I mean? The sort of Western remakes, it 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 just it's like one thing. So a remake of Korean horror film becomes coded in a similar way to a remake of. Uh, uh, Japanese horror film for your upcoming book on on South Korean horror if I might make one suggestion uh, I think you can save yourself a lot of time by just having the entire book say the the last image of Shudder is the most terrifying thing you will ever see <laughs> and then end of story <laughs> that's all you, all you need to know it's uh shutter shutter was a movie we came to this season and I had seen it years ago and for some reason only now as a 40 something man yeah. does that movie strike fear in me in a way that I never <laughs> suspected. I think that you found, I've been doing some work on um, Hong Kong horror cinema of the sixties and seventies. And it's just so much fun. It's kind of like, it's fun in the way I think those Japanese gore films are fun, but that's whole sense of sort of having a ghost on your shoulder it's kind of something you find in those films as well. Um, so yeah, I wish I could just, just, just sort of have an image and sort of say something. I think the publishers want eighty thousand words out of me. <laughs> no, this picture, and then just the word "this" underneath it. And that's what <laughs> <laughs> as we wrap it up, and, and thank you again so much for your time. It, it's just been wonderful. Um, what for for those listeners who want to hear not me but an actual authority on this material uh recommend a film to them uh, are are there movies that when uh western audiences approach you and say what is my my entry point what's my stepping stone into a asian horror do you have that list handy do you do you know the three or four titles you say you should watch this this and this yeah. and 
Well, I mean, it would be sort of standard. You know, you have to start with Ring and you have to start with John because those are, those are the sort of key films that sort of initiated um, the the genre. You would have to look at something like Audition or any sort of Mike film, if you like, or sort of something like Itchy the Killer would be a sort of good example. Um, and I think, I think those sort of films, and, and then something like, you know, I'd say to them, well, have a look at something like Black Kiss, because Black Kiss has a lot of international influences on it. And that was, I found that so, the ending sort of pants. But I found the film so interesting because it sort of, it wasn't just about Japan. It was about Japan in a global society. So so that would be um, something that would be, you know, well worth looking at. I would say sort of, um, Shimuzo's Rabbit Horror 3D. <laughs> I think it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I mean, I rate him very, very highly as a director. He's not, yeah, sort of, his film before wasn't that great. But again, he hasn't had many sort of missteps. Um, and then, you know, one of the sort of, sort of gore films I would say, because they do have, and they do sort of show a sort of different side. So something like Tokyo Golf, please, as a sort of um, entry to that. Or there's a sort of earlier film called The Horrors of the Malformed Man, which is well worth watching. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean... I suppose if you're if you're coming to Japanese horror now, you'll have already seen some of it through Western horror, through Western horror, but but those sort of early films and then you know, Mickey film and something like Black Kiss, um, and and then you know I would say also look at something like. Gami. I mean, it's kind of like the Death Note films. I'm sort of pushing the envelope here a bit, <laughs> but it very much works within that 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 component of those films that aren't gore films. The very the very quiet, the very silent, and the very profound at the same time. And I think that for me is something that touches me sort of emotionally. Um, in, in a way that sort of some of the other horror films don't. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen Black Kiss and you, you've certainly sold me on it. So uh, <laughs> um, it is, it's really, I mean, I, I was, I bought quite a lot of sort of quite cheap DVDs and um, I, I, it, it's based on a, a manga. Um, and um, it was just one of those ones I, I I managed, I bought, and I actually fell in love with the film. I thought it was just, it's kind of, those are the things that I like in those sort of, that sort of very quiet Japanese cinema that's filled with sort of shots where nothing happens. You couldn't get that in Western horror. You couldn't have a shot where nothing's happening. You couldn't have a shot of corridor. You know, it always needs to be motivated by something. Um, but yes, I, I think sort of a range of films 
Um, you know, anyone that I kind of write about, <laughs> although some people um, have sort of criticised me for some of the choices in my book. Um, but I think films as representative of certain anxieties or aren't necessarily great films, but they're films that tell us something. Yeah, I, I and uh, my my one critique of uh, of your book for me personally was that there was a uh, only a name check of the Tomie series, which I found myself yes. Uh, yeah. uh, just sucked into at a certain point, and there is an incredible dearth of critical work on that series. Maybe rightfully so, in fairness, but no, no, I I mean I I agree, and I am. I, I don't know whether I did in the Japanese book or the East Asian Gothic book, but I I absolutely will. And I also need to take about the eco-eco films as well. Um, but the Tommy films, yes, because they're still going. The only Tommy film I haven't seen is Tommy versus Tommy. Um, and that didn't seem to get a release and I can't seem to acquire it anyway. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think I had seen the I had seen the films when I was doing it, which is the same for the Koiki films, um, and it was it was not being able to fit so much in. Um, but yes, I mean certainly I will say a bit more about them in the new Japan book in the second edition. But there'll be a lot more about it in the Gothic book because I think it's very sort of. Um, uh, those films are very gothic and and I agree with you I agree with you and I I have to revise some of what I did earlier and I think that's why the publishers wanted me to look at every chapter rather than just do a new chapter and an introduction and that's sort of taking time <laughs> it takes too much time but I'm really you know I really like revisiting the book and and watching more Japanese films because I've got out of the habit of doing it. Um, and, and that's when it came to me, actually Japan's still producing some bloody good horror films, you know, and we shouldn't dismiss that sort of lull um, because I'm not so sure that there is one. I, I think it's to do much more with distribution than anything else. Uh, excellent. Uh, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. No, sure. it, it is a discussion I've been looking forward to and, and it certainly lived up to my expectations. So, um, where, uh, I don't know if you maintain a social media presence, but should someone want to find you, is that something they can do? Yes. I'm on, I'm on Twitter under Colette Balmain and I'm also under Facebook on my, um, under my own name. I've got, uh, a web, uh, I've got a web blog that needs updating, which is Oriental Nightmares. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know. That has reviews. Um, there's, there's been quite a few Korean v, uh, reviews, but I'm going to do a review of Tokyo Tribe because I disliked it so much <laughs> for a change. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's great when a movie reminds you, like, I should really say something about this. Yes. <laughs> I should keep this to myself. I got to let other people. Uh, well, that's wonderful. And uh, yeah, please look her up. And, and for our listeners, uh, if you're interested in this subject matter, I can't recommend enough 
uh, introduction to Japanese horror film. As I said, it, it's been one of the seminal works for this show. And uh, in particular, uh, the, the piece on audition, I think, is, is maybe the best collection of thoughts on that film I've ever read. Well, thank you. And thank you. <laughs> no, it's been my pleasure. So that is it. Uh, my conversation with uh, Carla Belmain. Uh, again, a big thanks uh, to her uh, for coming on the show. And, uh, and she's being so smart. She's so smart. Uh, so... Um, the next bonus episode, I, I don't know when that's going to drop. It will uh, be about a million percent sillier than this episode. So we'll be back in October with 13 new episodes, 13 new Asian horror films uh, to peruse and pick over. Um, uh, once again, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, it really has been a wonderful experience to, to get feedback and, and please uh, drop us a line, uh, as I said in the upfront, at herohero at legionpodcasts.com and over on our Facebook page, uh, groups forward slash Hero Hero Go Show. And uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll be back probably in about a month with our next bonus episode and then uh, the regular season. We'll begin anew once more for myself. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you on bonus episode number two. And now, as much Molise as I can legally play for you, good night. Good night.